Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Okay, another episode has come upon us of the High Impact Man podcast. Um, it's been it's been a few weeks since we've recorded, uh, but we haven't missed a beat as far as weekly drops of, of our podcast. Uh, we've got uh, a special one in store for you today, uh, an absolute high-impact man. I can't wait to hear all of his story. Uh, as you guys, all you regular listeners know, we have men on to tell their story, to encourage, motivate, inspire us, and you know give us hope uh, from guys that are just doing really good stuff out there, you know, high-impact men in their communities and their families and so forth. We talk a lot about F3. We have most of our listeners are F3 guys, and um, we uh, we hope to get other guys that uh, listen to this that are not F3 guys so that, A, they can hear about it, but B, just be inspired and encouraged and motivated to get out there and be uh, the virtuous leaders that we are supposed to be. So we finally have some good weather here. Uh, my name is Nevin Gorky, otherwise known as D-Fib in the, in the gloom, and the gloom here is Danville, Pennsylvania. The weather has been schizophrenic as usual for what we call spring <laughs> and i'm joined by my co-host troy Klinger, otherwise known as dial up dial up what do you think of this weather it's uh, like i just uh, just said before we came online here uh it, it, we we cover all four seasons weekly it seems for about the past month or so it's been a little crazy and the pollen's running wild yeah yeah i forgot to take my allergy medicine the last few weeks going out there in the gloom and running around and i've paid for it a little bit yeah i was hacking and coughing today when i went for my run and uh yesterday the eyes were just watering like crazy and the nose just filled up with snot so uh anyway this too shall pass running always makes me cry it does <laughs> <laughs> we have an ao on mondays that just a running ao that we started well it was like the third ao that we had set up originally since we planted yeah, the shovel yeah. flag and every and we we're trying to look for a name a cool name for the ao because that's apparently what we what guys do and i wanted to name it the trail of tears because every time i run it i my ear eyes water yeah well, must be the pollen i don't yeah. know all right, well, we have another guest on that we want to introduce, uh, another high-impact man, as I said. He's coming to us uh, from the south. I got in a little trouble talking about the Carolinas a few episodes ago. We won't go there. <laughs> what states are emerging this week? Or maybe we will. <laughs> we, yeah, I don't We know. haven't talked about Kentucky yet, have we? No, we have not. <laughs> our goal is to insult every state in the union, So, and we're on our way. Anyway, we are joined by Billy Thomas, otherwise known as Flying Tomato to his F3 guys. Uh, so, Tomato, welcome aboard. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, so as always, you know, F3 guys, we want to know, you know, how you got involved with F3 and how you got your name. I really want to know how you got the name Flying Tomato. <laughs> Well, so I got involved with F3, um, uh, gosh, it took about three or four years of EHing by my cousin Banjo. Um, I think he was, um, on one of the podcasts, uh, maybe a few weeks back. So, uh, yeah. Banjo and I were living in Cary. Uh, he worked with me and, uh, EH'd me for years and I was just so stuck in my routine that, uh, I just kept giving every excuse possible and saying I had to be at the office a certain time. I couldn't be out there that early. I couldn't disrupt my normal routine. So um, ended up moving uh, to Pinehurst, North Carolina. And uh, I knew at that point I needed uh, more trans, more uh, transformational type relationships rather than the superficial transactional ones that I was used to. Yeah. And 
hooked up with uh, F3 Highlander, and he brought me to the first uh, my first queue, and uh, they asked me what I enjoyed doing. Uh, I just gotten back from a ski trip in Colorado. It was my third of the winter, and uh, told them I love snowboarding. And so they said, "What's that guy's name? Sean White. What is Nick's, What's his nickname? <laughs> Flying Tomato." And uh, so that's that stuck. I don't have red hair, um, and I I think I've been snowboarding one time since then. So uh, yeah, it's, don't know if it's the most fitting name, but uh, it has stuck with me. Well, it is unique. I didn't know Sean White was called the Flying Tomato. I, 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 okay, so I'm not alone then, because that's what I was just sitting here thinking. I'm like, man, I you know have seen Sean White compete for a lot of years, and I've never heard him called the Flying Tomato, but yeah. it fits. Then you are never alone, Dial-Up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he always reminds me of Carrot Top, the comedian, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, flying it. Tomato. All right, now I know it. Things you sure. learn during an F3 podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Add it to the list. Yeah, so F3. F3 stands for Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. And uh, what we do is get together in the mornings. It's free. Uh, and we, we gather and we work do hard workouts together for the uh, purpose of developing uh, ourselves into better leaders, uh, more, more virtuous leaders. That's the mission of F3. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, if you're not a member of F3 and you want to be, it's easy to find it, F3Nation.com. You can find a place near you. But otherwise, if you're not, I hope you're inspired by this man's story because he's got a story that uh, – uh, outside of F3, that, uh, that is really, really something to be um, proud of and, and just inspiring, I think, to others. So, but before we get there, Tomato, tell me, um, where did you grow up? Where did you start out your life, and how was your family life? What was it like living there? Sure. Um, so I grew up, grew up in L.A., actually, in California. Um, but that was actually, my mother uh, grew up in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Our family went back generations. That's where Banjo is from. Um, our grandfathers lived next door in properties in Hopkinsville. So I kind of feel like I grew up in Kentucky because every summer we spent there as my mom was a high school uh, teacher in California. Um, but I lived in California until I was 15. Um, family life was different there. I mean, the most beautiful place I've ever been. Um, one of the most incredible places to visit, but one of the worst places to live. Mm. So um, every, you know, it's just so expensive to live out there that, um, you know, everybody's working all the time and there's just no relationships at all. It was, uh, very superficial and shallow. Uh, my dad took his life when I was five. Oh so my mom raised me by herself as a high school teacher. So it was a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. How many siblings did you have? Just one older brother. The brother. Yeah. The, the, Dead F three name. What's his name? I'm sorry. Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Okay. Well, hopefully he's not a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, had a five percent chance of surviving an aortic aneurysm when he was 39. So that's how he got his name. Ooh, ooh, I know about those. Yeah. I, I take care of those and what I do for a living. Mm. Did he have a ruptured aortic aneurysm? Uh, they said it was as thin as cellophane wrapper. I mean, uh, they on the operating table, they're like, he shouldn't be alive. Don't know why he is, but I guess we better try to fix him. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to catch him before they pop, and that's uh, praise the Lord that they did. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, where, you know, uh, reading your bio here, where'd you go to college? So I guess I, in a way, went to three colleges. I went to a community college my freshman year that was a feeder to University of Kentucky. And then I went my sophomore year to University of Kentucky and then transferred to Austin Peay State University. 
mm-hmm. which is just on the Kentucky-Tennessee border around uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. What did you study there? Uh, study business, marketing. I think Banjo told us he studied girls and partying or something like yes, that. Yes, right? I believe that was. It doesn't run in the family, then, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think that's fitting for banjo for sure. <laughs> before, before we go too far, we really should ask him for a good banjo story, like growing up as a kid, that's don't a you think? Great idea, yeah. Good banjo story, golly. We're kind of putting you well, on the spot, but there's got to be something really funny about there, something There's some really good ones. So, I mean, uh, like I mentioned, his grandfather and my grandfather lived next door, and they each had about eight acres. And we would come every summer, my brother and I, and he has an older brother and a younger sister. And uh, our grandparents, grandfathers passed away fairly young ages. So it was our grandmothers. But um, we had a swimming pool. So they would come over to the swimming pool all the time. And uh, for whatever reason, we uh, didn't like bathing suits. So we skinny dipped um, constantly. I mean, my mom and my grandmother would have bridge clubs, just 30 women there. And uh, we would all be stark naked in the swimming pool. And the odd thing is my brother was tall for his age. So, um, you know, we look back at pictures and he was like six, two standing there, stark naked with all of us, you know, look like a creepy old, uh, pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, me, Banjo and his brother were short, so we didn't look so awkward, but, um, plenty of pictures of us naked, um, in, in front of groups of, uh, bridge club women. Okay. <laughs> And you were how old? 18? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I was the youngest, so I, 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 I've got an excuse. They, uh, they probably participated in this a little too long. <laughs> okay. Take that, Banjo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to message him now. Skinny, if you want, I'm going to so. message him, Skinny Dipper. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Maybe we get a, a name change. I guess yeah. Banjo fits the... Never mind. Um <laughs> So, did you play uh, involved in any sports in high school or college, anything like that? Yes, I, I was on the water ski team at University of Kentucky. Wait, wait, hold, hold on a second. That's something you don't hear. Water ski team? <laughs> the water ski yes, team. Yes, it, it was more like a club. It was more like a drinking club, uh, you know, like women and beer. Um, we weren't very good, but uh, we did compete. And this is like and, slalom uh, skiing, right? Slalom yeah, water so, skiing. Slalom skiing, uh, uh, jumping, and trick skiing were the three uh, different competitions. And so um, I was in Macon, Georgia for the first competition of the season and ran into an iron judge's stand and almost lost my leg, uh, which was the reason I transferred to Austin P because I could not get around campus and had to drop out, drop out for a semester. Um, and then at Austin P, I walked on the golf team. And before my first competition, uh, in the golf, on the golf team, I crashed my golf cart and broke my leg in three places. So, uh, that ended that sporting career as well. So you almost broke your leg doing a very difficult sport that there's a risk. And then you really did break your leg driving a golf cart. Okay. Makes sense. correct. (laughs) (laughs) But what is Banjo who actually played soccer and actually competed? I, um, was on two different sporting teams, but actually, actually, Got injured in both of them before my first competitions. Oh, Lord. But yet water skiing, that's another sport that you can add to your list. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. That you might have been really, really good at. Right, I never did. Had you had the chance. I never even like tried it. Like you could have been like a D1 water skier. I might have been. Yeah. You missed your call. I, I know. Again, curling, water skiing, the, the list just keeps growing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's too late for me now. 
<laughs> Maybe chess. Now, you just talked about um, uh, golf. It looks like you, you worked a little bit as an assistant golf pro. That is correct. Um, when I moved to North Carolina from Kentucky, um, mainly just seeking opportunity. I mean, I, I wanted to be in the business that I'm in now, which is uh, I work for Merrill Lynch and uh, investments and financial planning. But I got told not, no nine times. Um, and so I had to do something. So I worked as an assistant golf pro for two years. And finally, I uh, got offered the job at Merrill Lynch and made the transition over. Nice. I think you could help me with the two things I need the most help with, my finances and my golf game. Everybody should come, down, come on. Down, down, pay a visit to you. You could a uh, little consulting for me here. Yep. Come on. Come to Pinehurst. Uh, a lot of good golf, for, golf courses here. You know, we had a squirrel on here. Um, oh. I don't know what episode it was. It was an early episode, but he's from Pinehurst. He is. Yeah, he's in uh, our packs. So uh, I'm going to have to go back and see if I can listen to the podcast that, we was, that he was on. I don't recall hearing it. Yeah, tell Squirrel we said hi. I absolutely will. Yeah, and that one, I, I told the story. I almost went to work in Pinehurst. I interviewed down there, and they offered me a job, but I, my wife wanted to go to Florida instead. So anyway, I did visit Pinehurst for a while. I really, it's a beautiful area. Oh, oh it's incredible. All right, cool. So tell us um, about your kids. I know you've got a son who's in his, what, mid-20s, and I'm guessing the other two are twins because they're both 23. That is correct. So my son's 27, uh, married with two children and one on the way. He played D1 college golf. Um, he works with me and he's about to move to Pinehurst uh, here in about two weeks. So um, then I've got twin daughters. Um, one lives with us and then the other lives in Charlotte. And uh, they've, they've been, they've had their roller coaster rides and uh been quite challenging. Yeah, I know. I, I'd read the, a little bit in your bio. Do you want to? You want to just dr- jump in there now and tell us how you got involved with the ministry that you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So, the reason I moved to Pinehurst is um, you know, my daughter that uh, she was actually a high school golfer and won a four A state championship. Uh, I was about to head to her first match of the season. And I got a call from the principal saying, come, your daughter's been suspended. And when I got there, uh, they had kind of informed me that she had skipped school and she had admitted that she had been doing drugs. And that caught me completely off guard. Uh, came home and found out she did uh, a lot of drugs and was really deep into addiction. Um, at that point, uh, I, I, I she shouldn't have actually lived then. She did 27 milligrams of Xanax. Oh boy. Um, and so, uh, once we found that out, I think she was at least at that time saying she needed help. So, um, we scrambled, uh, found a program called teen challenge that had an adolescent girls program down in Alabama. So, um, we got her into that. Uh, we really had no time to really, uh, do much research or homework cause, uh, you know, we had about five days to make a decision. Uh, so we got her there um, and made the decision that we didn't want her to move back to the same community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a second home in Pinehurst and relocated to Pinehurst. And uh, that's, you know, like I said, that's how I got involved in F3. Um, I, I also came to the realization, I think, through just, just God-orchestrated steps. I mean, I, it's just supernatural that um, he revealed to me the beauty of people trapped in addiction. 
And just uh, what I saw before as people that were bad people or thought they were bad people making bad choices and they better stay away from my twin daughters. Right. I think God said, let me show you who they really are. They're my children, just like you are. Mm. And um, it, it, it would take forever for me to describe how it actually came about. But um, I had a desire to maybe do something for women coming out of treatment and helping them get reintroduced back into society. But I think God basically said, look, I want you to be obedient and take men straight out of prison and detox and love them where they are in their dark, darkest point, And then I'll show you the next step. So we, um, there was a need, there was a need that, uh, it was a revolving door at the uh, detox centers because, uh, there was no beds available at the treatment centers that were affordable. You know, if you had 20,000 a month, you can get in, but people coming out of prison, the people that we dealt with had burned every bridge. And so, you know, the treatment centers would have a month or a month and a half waiting list. And so the hospitals would have to release them from detox and say, stay sober. Um, and they couldn't do it. So we partnered with a couple different uh, treatment centers. We started a safe house where once they were vetted by the treatment centers, we would pick them up out of detox, you know, just show them the love of Christ and, um, you know, get get their head cleared from a lot of the cloud that they were dealing with. And, um, you know, and then start the process of trying to develop them, developing them to virtuous leaders so they can have an impact in the community, just like the F3 men do. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Uh, I got a number of questions. Uh, the first one is when did you start this? How long have you been doing it? So June 1st, 2017 is when we opened our doors and took our first men in. So you're almost on your fifth year anniversary. We are. We are. Yeah. How many do you take at a time? So we uh, followed a model because we're in the historic district of Pinehurst and there is absolutely no way it would get a, no, get approval. Um, when I asked all of my wise counsel if uh, we should do this, they said it's the dumbest idea they've ever heard. Um, <laughs> all my F3 brothers said never would it work. It'd be closed down in a week. Um, but we said, you know what? God said, we have to take the step of obedience. So we're doing it. And, uh, so we basically, uh, followed a model of saying we can have, I think it's a federal regulation that a, a firm called the Oxford houses said that you can provide, uh, res you know, you can provide housing for six or fewer people. And, um, if, as long as it's residents only, um, they can't keep you from using your property for that reason. So we basically uh, decided let's throw six drug addicts in the historic district of Pinehurst in a very recognizable home, and let's trust God and see what he does with it. And here we are five years later, and it's been just uh, unbelievable. Wow. So um, you're doing it for five years. How long, how long does a typical person stay with you? They stay in our house typically for, uh, it just varies for sometimes as short as a few days, uh, sometimes a month and a half. Um, so there's no prescribed amount of time. I'm sorry. There's no prescribed amount of time. Correct. It's when a bed is available and when, uh, they feel like they need to get them in. If they feel like they need more time, they'll leave them with us longer. Uh, if they feel like they're a flight risk and might, uh, you know, just, leave if they don't get in treatment quick then they try to get them in quicker 
And so what kind of services are, are you providing while they're in this kind of transition phase and, and staying with you? Yeah. So we've got a schedule. Um, we've got somebody that actually is an alumni, came through our house, that runs the house, lives with them. So they wake up at six. Uh, two guys come down and prepare breakfast. Uh, they have breakfast at 630. They have a devotional. They go to an eight o'clock AA meeting. Uh, they come back from the AA meeting. Uh, they have a little downtime. They do additional devotional um, in the morning, and then they go to another AA meeting at noon. And then they come back, and they have about two hours of just kind of free time to kind of get organized. Usually at that time, I stop by the house and just kind of try to at least get acquainted with the guys that come through. Um, I view them as family members. And... Uh, so they will have additional devotional time before dinner. They'll have dinner, and then they go to another AA meeting at 8 p.m. So they go to three AA meetings a day. Uh, for the most part, they go to three to four church services a week, too. Hmm. So that the and church, service projects, we will we'll try to connect them and get them involved in service projects as well, so they can get used to putting other people before themselves. Is there a particular church that you use, or they get to pick where they want to go? No, we pick a few different churches. So we, we vary churches. Um, we go to uh, uh, a Pentecostal, Pentecostal church, an evangelical free church, a Baptist church. We try to expose them to different churches, hoping that they'll feel a connection at one of them. And what kind of uh, success stories have you had? Do you stay in touch with them after they leave it all? We do. I mean, we've probably had 2,000 guys come through the house, <clears throat> but... We don't like to measure it that way. I mean, uh, I don't know the faith element. So, I mean, uh, I apologize if, if, is it okay to talk about my faith? Absolutely. Yeah, if no you doubt. weren't, if you didn't, I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, as a Christian, um, I think we had a pretty good model on leadership and development, um, through Jesus. And so I think if Jesus had thousands of followers and he intentionally, uh, tested them to turn, to see if they were committed or not. And they, many of them turned away. And, you know, the 12 stayed and said, we've got nowhere else to go. And he poured into those 12 and, you know, test them, um, you know, put them through an apprentice program. You know, he sent out originally, I guess, 72 by two and must have narrowed those down because they must not have all made the cut. So our view is not how many men, but how many men stay with us where we can develop to become mature and complete like the apostles mm -hmm. so that when they go out in their community, they multiply and they change lives. So we've walked, uh, you know, I've done the very first guy that came through our house. I talked to a day or two before, uh, you know, a day or two ago. Um, he's one of my best friends. Um, another one of them is F3 Mandela. And he came through July of 2017. So he was one of the very first ones that came through our house. He helps run the mentorship program alongside, um, the other F3 men that have volunteered to be life coaches and mentors for them. So the idea for us is we want to do life with them. Um, many of them become F3 members. Um, many have gone on to get full ride scholarships to uh, UNC Chapel Hill, a little third tier school. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> not like the UK, we can't get them there. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the ideal for us is it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a sifter. And I think kind of like F3, how many people post one time at F3 and how many stay and get sifted? You know, how many do we sift out? But our, our goal is to 
pour into the ones that are committed that can become leaders, virtuous leaders in, in our communities and have an impact. And, um, you know, just the same way, probably had hundreds, if not thousands, come to F3 in the Sandhills. And we probably have 20, 15 or 20 that are really having an impact. Mm-hmm. So, so those are the ones that we really want to focus on. We want to create impactful men that can change lives and eradicate substance abuse in our community. Wow, that's fantastic. So, you know, we hear a lot of people that complain and, you know, about the addiction issues in our country and stuff like that. But um, here's a guy who's <laughs> taking action. Yeah. Right. And uh, and making a difference in people's lives. That's fantastic. Uh, how's your daughter doing? She's doing great. She's been through, after she got out of Teen Challenge, she uh, she ran hard, uh, went through another treatment program uh, and another treatment program. She's been through three. Uh, she is on probation. Um, she's got multiple charges on her record, but she is, she, uh, I mean, I just, she's the most incredible young lady. Um love every minute of time that I get to spend with her. Uh, I think sometimes it's just like, you know, Jesus had to descend before he ascended. He had to be tested in the wilderness. I think when we see the darkness and people come out of that, they have such an appreciation for the light and they're just amazing people. And she's one of those. Yeah. That's a great testimony. Well, you're talking to two Baptists here. So, you know, one's a deacon, one's an elder. I won't tell you which is which, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so yeah no our faith is the same so you know it's uh, we try uh to dedicate this podcast to the glory of god and you know mm-hmm. to our lord jesus christ and you know we don't we don't it's not a christian podcast but we definitely love it when guys come on and they can share their faith not just share their faith but how their faith impacts what they're doing and you know the actions that they that you take you know like james said don't don't just be hearers of the word but doers of the word and uh I think that's what you're doing. Are you still there, Tomato? Yeah, I'm here. Can okay. you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you froze there for a second. Oh, sorry uh, about that. That's okay. That's okay. So yeah, no, we put uh you know, put our faith into action and that's just that's just an incredible inspiring story. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, I do believe and I was talking to another of the uh F3 Pax members. I said, you know, if it was F2 and it was fitness and fellowship, I'm not sure if we would have stayed together through COVID. Right. Yeah. You know, because I think there's a lot of, you know, revealing of different people's personalities and character, but it was the faith component that re- that had us all recognize that, hey, we're, we're okay. it's okay to be different. We're, we're created differently. And we're intended to unite together with our difference with the shared purpose. And I, so I think it's the, fa- I think the faith part is the glue that keeps our organization together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it's, you know, <clears throat> Not a specific faith. You know, F3 defines faith as believing in something bigger than yourself. And the purpose of that is to make sure that you don't think you're the center of the universe. And that's why you become a virtuous leader is by serving others. Um, but many of the guys obviously are Christians. And it has really galvanized a lot of Christian men that I know uh, to come together. And then, as you said, a shared purpose and guys coming together and be developing those bonds of fellowship it's amazing what you can accomplish. You can yeah. accomplish things like flying tomato heads. Yeah, I mean, what a what a great example of serving others, right? Yes, yeah. is, is exactly what you're doing. Um, yeah. Uh, so, tomato, I got a question for you. So, I'm, I'm we had a, um, a discussion, I should say, uh, at our church about 
uh, praying for F3, that we've been, uh, we've been praying for F3 uh, in our church services, and some people are uncomfortable with that because it's not a Christian ministry. Um, and so as, as a man with a strong Christian faith, being part of F3 where the, the faith isn't defined as a specific religion or anything, what would you say to people? Uh, what, what, would you, what would you say to Christian men out there about that portion of F3 and what it means? Oh gosh, we'll see if I can answer this. I mean, um, I mean, we've got we've got Jewish people in our group, we've got agnostic people in our group, and you know, I think just like Jesus did, he didn't say, "Hey, believe," and then I'll do. You know, he said, "Follow me. Let's build a relationship. Uh, let me show you something that you may want." So, a fishing expedition. But um, I, like I said, I think the faith component is the glue, and. Uh, as far as praying for it, I mean, gosh, uh, we don't want to put God in a box. I mean, I think if he can do anything, uh, he can certainly work through non-Christians. He can, he, you know, he, he can work through every, anybody. I'm not going to say he can't do something. So, um, you know, I, I, I think we have a strong faith component in our F3 group because it's spun out of a discipleship program um, by Robert Lewis called Men's Fraternity. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Okay. So, you know, men's fraternity was wrapping up and a bunch of the guys were like, hey, we need to keep this group of guys together. And, you know, one of them had heard of F3 and they said, hey, okay, let's start this. So I think because of the way we were founded, we probably have a stronger faith component than maybe other F3 organizations. Yeah, yeah, I think it varies across the country. And it's, uh, but got to remember that the, the mission is to develop virtuous leaders. Um, yeah. And, you know, my take on it is this. You can't be a virtuous leader unless you believe virtues exist. If virtues sure. exist, they got to come from somewhere, and they got to come, and they got to be an unchanging standard. Otherwise, they don't mean anything. So for me, that takes me to God's word and, and so forth. So um, yeah, I'm not sure how you become a virtuous leader unless you believe that God gave us virtues that we should follow. Sure. Um, but that's the mission. The mission is to develop virtuous leaders, and 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 it really works. I mean, you talked about Robert Lewis. I I had uh, read the book Raising a Modern Day Knight by Robert Lewis. Uh, my wife, once again, suggested that I start a ministry for teenage boys, a nationwide ministry for teenage boys. She just says, I think you should do that. Anyway, I didn't start a nationwide movement for teenage boys, but I, I started researching things and I read his book and I, I uh, started a, a men's group here on Saturday morning. We would meet for breakfast and we would talk and study a book, you know, pray for each other and that kind of stuff. And it's, and it's still going on. I don't lead it any longer. And I, unfortunately, I don't attend it very often anymore because we do have three in Saturday mornings and it's a different group that I meet with. But, um, mm. but that book spurred that on. And it was guys getting together to raise their boys together. As you know, uh, if you read the book or if anybody's not familiar with it, um, it's helps define manhood because it's something we're missing in our country. And he defines it biblically in the book. And, and because how do you know when a person, when a boy becomes a man in our country, in our culture, we don't really have a specific time where a boy knows where he becomes a man. And uh, in his book, he says that we need to, kind of create opportunities to celebrate successes for the boy and ceremony uh, where men can come together as a group of men to acknowledge, you know, a boy when he's entering manhood and that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, we started this group and uh, it, it evolved into for any men, any men didn't have to have sons, but, uh, and, and it's great and guys are blessed by it and it's really important and it should continue. But what I've discovered is through F3 F3 is a vehicle that helps guys overcome some stuff in their lives that just sitting down and talking about it doesn't, doesn't really do it. 
my experience with men's groups is that a lot of guys keep struggling with and complaining about the same problems they have over and over again year after year. Pray for them, we encourage them, we you know stand alongside them. But F three getting out and getting out in the gloom and working out hard together and getting more physically fit uh, and exposing yourself to hardship really does help you get over some things and some past experiences in your life. I mean, so tomato, I know you went through some tough stuff stuff. I mean, you lost your dad in early age and you know, you were looking for transformational leaders, uh, or guys in leadership rather than transactional. So tell me how F3 helped you through that. How did, how did being part of F3 help you through that and sure, get involved in this? Sure. Well, it's funny cause I heard Banjo make this comment. He said, you know, before F3, he had maybe three good friendships, solid friendships. And, uh, on your podcast, you said, you know, now he's can't even count them, 140. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what it was for me. I mean, working as a golf pro and still living in the commu- the golf community and working in investments there, I knew tons of people, but they were all transactional. I'd play golf with somebody or I'd, you know, be uh, an advisor for somebody. It, there was nothing, there was no, no depth to them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had zero um, and I, uh, went through a program called halftime, which is halftime Institute. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. Um, and they had us do a foundation assessment and basically you're supposed to give it to your spouse and a close friend to do a foundation evaluation of where they saw you. And I had not one person I could give it to wow. other than my wife. Yeah. And now I'm a halftime coach. Uh, I'm coaching a halftime round table and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this exercise again. Uh, now that it's, uh, seven years later and I'm like, how do I narrow down who I have do this assessment on me? Because I have like banjo, I mean, maybe a hundred deep transformational relationships and that know me deeply. Um, never had that before ever in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it's hard to describe, but I would also say that the things like you say, high impact man, I say, gosh, high impact. I'm, I'm a member of high impact men, a group, Mm -hmm. because if it weren't for F3 and it weren't for these trans transformational, um, relationships that I developed, I would be, I doing absolutely nothing. Um, we would not have started this, uh, nonprofit. I would not be doing, I'd probably just be living my life as that sad clown, uh, going to work every day, thinking I'm doing a good job. So I'm providing for my family. Yeah. But, um, you know, biblically, I think, you know, Jesus says in, in, in the book of Matthew, he says, you know, um, sends his apostles out and says the harvest is plenty, but the, the uh, laborers are few, right? Go find laborers. And it's like within the church, there's plenty of people willing to stroke a check there's nobody to do the work and be the hands and feet. And gosh, our group in F3, we do so much service projects that, uh, that, that are hard to find to do. We just got back from the foothills, um, doing a service project for a, uh, uh, a Methodist camp. Um, so uh, to me, I'm, I'm just one component, but I mean, the true uh, high impact men are the people in my F3 packs that, have come alongside and agree to be mentors, to be whetstones, we call it, in the uh, F3 program, um, to devote their time to do life with people in recovery and for nothing in return. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can give me a million dollars to our nonprofit and what would I do with it? 
I mean, hire mentors, but their heart would be on the money. Right. Uh, I'm back. I don't know what happened. Sorry about that. Yeah, I don't either. But as uh, as Dread and, and uh, Dark Helmet say in their podcast, and we're back. <laughs> we'll just throw a throw commercial. We'll just throw a commercial in there, right? On, so, uh, well, you said you, the you last know, thing but, you said was that you know guys would focus on the money if you paid them. Yeah, I mean they would focus on the money, but uh, I mean these men that are in my F three packs that are life coaches and mentors. I mean, um, they're doing it purely because their hearts in, and they want to see men uh, get freedom from addiction and and be impactful in the community. So. Um, I mean, it, it, it is our packs, and I would name them each if I had time because uh, they're the ones that really make everything that I'm doing um, happen because y'all may have seen the video, but uh, if it weren't for them, I would be the shirtless idiot like most people in Kentucky <laughs> dancing around and, uh, you know, nobody engaging. But they yeah. inspire me. They come alongside, and they jump on board with my crazy ideas. Yeah. What are those guys that said that this will never work? What do they, what do they say now that they see it uh, <laughs> in progress? Right. Or we were wrong. They tell the story all the time. Yeah. They're saying, yeah. When they tell the story to others and said, I told them it was foolish. It would never work. But you know, he had enough faith to say, God's telling me to do it. So I've got to do it. Um, so like, like I said, it's kind of like the first person that stands up in a concert shirtless and starts dancing. And yeah. uh, I guess that's my personality. I'm, kind of don't really think much of consequences. Um, and, uh, but then they, they came along and followed and have just been uh, amazing supporters. I, I love hearing that you have a, it sounds like several men that have been through the program that now are on board with, with serving as counselors within the group and, or, or involved with the, with the, with the ministry in some way, shape or form. And to, to me, I, I mean, that, that probably just kind of just builds upon the program, right? Because those folks have, they've been there. Absolutely. What, what better way for, to, to be able to relate to what someone's going through, um, you know, battling addiction and trying to recover from addiction um, than to, than to have folks right there in their lives that can, that can relate. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, DFib, you and I that have never had that challenge. Right. You know, what, Anything we say to them, they can just be like, well, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what it's like. These guys have been there. They've lived it. Um, so that, that, that's really cool to hear that you got so many people involved, you know, and it coming kind of full circle and them giving back to the program that, that helped them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had uh, uh, no experience with this, so I can't really, you know, speak from it. Um, what I do as a profession in heart surgery, we operate on a lot of people that have drug addiction because they get infections in their heart. Yeah. And we see a lot of recidivism. So, you know, these, these folks, they get, they, they face death, uh, needing a major open heart surgery and, uh, tell them if they don't stop, they're going to reinfect the valve that we put in, et cetera. And they just, most of them go back to, uh, to doing, to using drugs again and they come back in with another infection and sometimes they can't have another operation. And so, um, it's kind of a depressing, uh, situation that I'm, that I see, but we, but there's no, it doesn't seem like there's a good, a good, um, process to get these folks back in a way where they're not going to uh, fall back into the same patterns. Because from what I understand in, uh, tomato, you said this when you moved to Pinehurst is, if you go back to the same environment and the same friends and the same people, everything, it's too easy to fall back into the same situation. Uh, 
So I don't know what kind of recidivism rate you see with the, the people that you deal with, but um, it sounds like you have you do have a, a lot of success with people coming out of it and finding the light. Yeah, I think uh, the main uh, treatment program that we aligned with is a place called Samaritan's Colony. And um, they said their, their success rate, uh, yeah, I don't know how they calculated, but went up about tenfold once uh, we came on board and partnered with them. Yeah. And I think it's both the front end and the back end because, you know, I think so many times people think addiction, send them through a treatment program, and then they get out and they're fixed and they're cured. And uh, it, it, it's, it takes years. It takes years and you know, not a lot of people have the um, commitment to basically spend years with somebody and they need a whole new community and they need to learn a whole new way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to understand from people, somebody that's not an addict of how they know that they will die if they go back, but they do anyways. It's, it's hard to understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's enslavement. Yeah. Yeah, and there's never you're never cured, right? Uh, no matter how long they've been clean, you know it's 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 always still there, and I'm sure in some ways a battle for them. I would I, I would think that they. Yeah, I mean, I've got a uh, brother-in-law who's 400 pounds, and uh, they tell him he's going to die if he doesn't lose weight. I mean, he uh, he was in a coma for two months because his. Uh, windpipes all collapsed on him and uh but he can't he can't break free from the sugar right so it's it's not just drugs and alcohol i mean people continue to you know participate in bad habits because it's just whether it's just the physical addiction mental addiction or just a bad habit and i think f3 is a great way to break that habit and kind of devote your time to do doing something that might be a little more healthy absolutely Absolutely. And there's, there's tons of evidence about that, you know, real good evidence about how exercise, especially outside, um, you know, getting out in the, in the elements and doing it, uh, it helps you, helps your immune system and helps your physically, obviously, but also helps your mental and emotional state. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have any other questions for yeah. Senior Tomato? Yeah. I was just going to ask like, so, you know, it seems like you've really hit upon a really good model here. H- have you, have you seen it or, or heard from others that have kind of tried to replicate what you've done or have you partnered with any other, uh, you know, folks from around the country to try and kind of replicate the kind of the model that you've developed there? Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, we're trying to resist the temptation that is such a, a, a Western cultural way of saying, you know, go bigger, bigger, bigger. Yeah. You know, more people, more people. How many people do you run through? Oh, you got six. Well, then, hey, let's open up and have 12 and 18. And and I think a lot of times it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, Jesus just stayed with 12. And so, you know, our, our whole goal is if we can go so deep with those that they go and replicate, then they will go out and maybe create something similar. Um, they'll create a similar platform in another community. And and we are seeing a lot of that. I mean, we've kind of, um, I've not seen an organization really replicate, but um, uh, we, we've got people that have gone on to get full ride scholarships, like I said, at UNC Chapel Hill, living in Austin, Texas, and changing lives there and helping people in addiction there. So it's, it's spreading out, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to see some of the fruit that's being bared. Well, you're a warrior on the front lines battling evil, my man. Yeah, how about it? I'm inspired, for sure. 
Yeah, so uh, one last question. I ask every guy that comes on this question. So <laughs> this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What message do you have for the men of America? The men of America, wow. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, gosh, seek transformational relationships. And, you know, F3 is an incredible way. It has absolutely transformed my life in every single way. And whether you're a man of faith or not, um, you know, if you're seeking a community of people that can basically, uh, you know, make you the best that you can be, um, great organization and uh, of any age, of any age. Yeah, that's good. Seek transformational relationships, man. Yep. You got to be intentional about it, right? Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to be lonely. And one, one, I don't know if you got time for one last story. Sure. So Robert Lewis and men's fraternity. Uh, and I think it might've been, uh, you know, the book you were referencing on, uh, how to build a modern day night, but he was given a story about an oxen, two oxen that basically were at a pulling contest. And, um, you know, they had the idea of let's put them together and, uh, see how they do. And they pulled much more than they did, uh, the sum of their parts. So I, I spent a lot of time researching that, and I, and I, I found that it's, it's true. Whether you're a pulling horse or a pulling oxen, they can each pull about, they're equal to their body weight individually, but when you yoke them together, equally yoked, they pull about double the sum of their individual body weight. And so I, what I would tell men of America is don't try to do it alone. Don't try to be the lone knight. But if you really want to be a high-impact man, then it's not you. It's basically yoke yourself with other equally yoked people. And the magnifying effect is, it's, it's undescribable. Mm. That's well said. Love it. And I think that's part of what F3 talks about. You know, yeah. when guys get together, they accomplish big things. Yeah. And don't, don't go it alone. Well, I don't know, Dallop, I think we just had another high-impact man on. Extremely high-impact man. Flying tomato, you go give Banjo a hug. Tell him I think you're better looking, though. I don't know. You might got the, I think you got the looks in the family. <laughs> I will definitely, definitely tell him that, and uh, thank you for what you all are doing because, obviously, you're spreading the word and very high-impactful uh, yourself. Well, thanks. Praise God for that. It's, yeah. all, it's all him. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for coming on to Sharon. Great, great, great story. All right, peace out, brother. <laughs> all right. Good night. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.